in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So last time, um, so we're, we're studying this book, The Orthodox Afterlife, which speaks about experiences and teachings regarding death and what happens to us after death. And last time we were reading this uh, first-hand account of the person we're calling Mr. Yu, because I can't pronounce his name, um, about what happened to him when he died. And he, um, he, he died of pneumonia in a hospital, and he's describing the, 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 the series of events that happened to him immediately afterward. Um, so we, we had read the bulk of the first part of his story um, last time. Um, so I'm just going to conclude um, this part. Um, this is just the first part of his story. So he, he goes on after that. Um, but then we can discuss it in more detail. So he's now uh, standing there in his spirit. Uh, and he sees himself, his body, on the bed in the hospital. And so he's saying, I wanted to touch myself to take the left hand by the right. My hand went right through. I tried to grasp myself at the waist. My hand again went through my body as through empty space. Struck by a strange phenomenon, I wanted uh, that someone nearby would help me understand what was happening. And having taken several steps, I extended my hand, desiring to touch the shoulder of the doctor. But I felt that I was walking strangely, not feeling contact with the floor. And my hand, no matter how I tried, could not reach the figure of the doctor. Only perhaps a few inches of space remained, but I was not able to touch him. I made an effort to stand firmly on the floor, but although my body obeyed my attempts and lowered itself, yet it could not reach the floor just as the figure of the doctor was not able to be reached before. Here also an insignificant amount of space remained, but I could in no way overcome it. And I vividly remembered how several days ago, the nurse of our, the nurse of our ward, desiring to guard my medicine from becoming spoiled, lowered a vial containing it into a pitcher of cold water. So, um, so maybe this is something common that we have read about or seen, and maybe even in the movies. Uh, when, when you see an example of a person who kind of has died and having an experience like this, then when they are in the spirit, right, they are not able to interact with the physical, right? And it shows a clear difference between the physical world and the spiritual world. The body is what makes us be able to interact with the physical, right? The spirit does not interact with the, phys with the physical in the same way. However, there was much water in the jug, and immediately the light vial was buoyed up. But the nurse, not understanding what had taken place, persistently tried one, two, and three times to lower it down to the bottom of the pitcher, and even held it down with her finger in the hope that it eventually would remain there. But hardly had she removed her finger than it again be carried upwards to the surface. Evidently, in a similar, similar manner, the surrounding air must have become too dense for me, for present me. What happened to me? I called out to the doctor. But the atmosphere in which I found turned in which I was found turned out to be entirely unfit for me. It did not receive and transmit the sounds of my voice, and I understood myself to be in a state of utter disassociation from all that was about me. I understood my strange state of solitude, and a feeling of panic came over me. There really was something inexpressibly horrible in this extraordinary solitude. If a person becomes lost in the forest, is drowning in the depths of the sea, caught in a fire, or sitting in solitary confinement, he never loses hope that he will be heard. 
He knows that he will be understood if his call for help is carried to somebody's hearing. He understands that if another living being sees him, he will be able to start speaking with him, expresses what he desires, express what he desires, and the other will understand him. But to see people about oneself, to hear and understand their conversation, and at the same time know that no matter what happens to you, you have no opportunity whatsoever of informing them of your presence and of expecting help if in need, from such a state of solitude, my hair stood on end and my mind becoming torpid. It was worse than being on an uninhabited island because there at least nature would have manifested positive signs of receptivity of one's individuality. But here in this deprivation of the capacity to associate with the surrounding world as an unnatural experience for a human being, in it there was so much deathly fear, such a horrible acknowledgement of helplessness. So even as he is there and he can see around him that he is in the hospital room and he can see people and he can hear their voice, but they can't hear him, they can't see him, he can't touch them, he can't interact with the world. And so he feels like a kind of a loneliness and a solitude that is beyond un understanding, um, maybe for any of us. Because the idea that even when we are alone, we have an expectation that if we choose not to be alone, we can communicate with someone. There's always someone that we can find at some point in time to communicate with and express ourselves to. And yet this man here, he was in a state where there was no one whom he could communicate to. So it was like a complete feeling of isolation and loneliness. And maybe it comes to our mind also on the judgment. You know, when we stand in judgment before God, we will stand alone. Sometimes in our life, we feel very buoyed and supported by people around us. Maybe we have friends, we have family. Maybe our family is church-going. Maybe our family is faithful. Maybe our family and the people around us are always, you know, living their life maybe for God, and I'm just kind of like tagging along for the ride. Or especially this could be the case for young people who grow up in a family that are church-going people and they fear God, and yet they themselves maybe are not. And yet because they are in the presence of these other people, they feel like, yes, they are going to church and they are doing these things and they're, 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 there's something happening because of my association with others. But in the idea of the judgment, right, the, the judgment is a, is a solitary, individual, lonely experience in the sense that I will stand before God by myself and there will be no one next to me to hold my hand. There will be no one next to me to give me support or understanding because it is in that moment that God is going to speak and he is going to not have a conversation with me, but he is simply going to tell me, this is what you did, this is how you lived, and this is now what is going to happen. And that's why the idea of judgment is frightful. Okay, And, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat that. The idea of this topic is not to make someone afraid of God or afraid of death, but to make us aware and alert of what is ahead of us so that we live our lives a certain way in the here and now. So that when we stand before God, we don't have to be afraid of what it is that he's going to say. So that we can confess our sins now, so that when we go before him, he will not find anything to accuse us with. Because every sin we commit will be, have already been confessed and repented of. Because it is by its very nature lonely. There is no one else next to me who is going to defend me, other than the Lord Christ himself, who was our advocate and defender. Who has mercy on us through his compassion, his kindness, his love, and through the shedding of his blood for our sake. But there's not going to be any other human being 
There's not going to be anyone else for me to turn to other than God himself. And maybe that's why in a moment like this, you know, and he's going to talk about this later on. He's going to talk about the idea of um, those who have prepared themselves spiritually for this moment will be much more able to understand it and will be much more able to cope with it, to deal with it in a positive way than those who have dismissed the spiritual things throughout their entire life. And he'll mention that. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll have a chance to talk about that today. So he, he goes on uh, and he says, um, such a horrible acknowledgement of helplessness, which one is neither able to experience in any other situation nor convey in any words. I, of course, did not give in at once. I attempted in all possible ways and tried to make my presence known. But these attempts only brought me complete despair. Is it really possible that they don't see me? I thought with despair and repeatedly approached the group of people standing over my bed, but none of them turned around or paid attention to me. And now I looked at myself with perplexity, not understanding how it was possible for them not to see me when I was um, the same as I had always been. This, again, we mentioned it last time. The idea that he sees himself as the same as he had always been. The idea of death did not change him. Obviously, he's not in his body. But it says something about who we really are. You know, people ask the question is, what makes up a person? You know, what is the person? Who, what part of me makes up me, right? My consciousness, my self-understanding, my sentience. Who, who is it that, uh, that I really am? Here, that even though he had completely lost his entire body, and he didn't have any physical component at all, and yet he fully was aware of all these things. He was still himself. It wasn't like he was born into some new kind of place where he didn't even know who he was or how he got there. There was no disconnection of his consciousness from the moment that he died up until now. He was still aware of everything, right? And that's why it was so strange to him, the idea that the people around him did not relate to him the way that he was used to being related to, the way that he is always related to everyone. It's like being in this room right now, seeing everyone just as you are, being aware of yourself and your surroundings, and yet nobody even knows that you're there. So what is the nature of the spirit after death? St. Augustine, he says, The man himself, who is in such a state, though it be in spirit only, not in body, yet sees himself so, like to his own body, that he cannot discern any difference. Right? Being in this state, in the spirit only, and not in body, and yet seeing ourselves as though we are still in the body. Like our self-perception, as though it is still me in my body the way that I've normally been even though I do not have a body Saint uh, Irenaeus he said the Lord has taught with very great fullness that souls continue to exist they do not do this by passing from body to body rather they persevere uh, they, they preserve the same form as that of the body to which they were adapted so it is like the spirit still takes the appearance of the body to ourselves and actually um there is a kind of a knowledge, right? Like, you know, we say that when we go to paradise or we go to heaven, we will be able to recognize one another. In what way can I recognize a person? You know, we recognize them by their appearance, right? And so it is like we will still have the same appearance and we will be able to discern and identify one another from such an appearance. In the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man recognized Lazarus and Abraham after death. So in this parable, um, this rich man, Lazarus, he dies, 
and he's speaking, uh, sorry, uh, the, the rich man dies and he sees Lazarus, who was this poor man that he knew in his life, and he's able to identify him even while um, in Hades. And, and actually, he identifies Abraham as well, and he speaks to him, even though he had never met Abraham, never knew Abraham. The apostles, whenever they witnessed the miracle of the transfiguration of Christ, where Christ went up on the mountain and he was transfigured, and Moses and Elijah appeared there with Christ, and they identified him as Moses and Elijah. Even though the, no one knew what Moses and Elijah looked like, right? There was no, there was no f photography. There was no way for them to know Moses and Elijah who lived, you know, hundreds of years earlier. And yet they identified him in the spirit. From these things, then, it is plain and declared that souls possess the form of a man so that they may be recognized. <coughs> Mother Arini a contemporary Coptic nun tells us of three experiences that demonstrate this. So Tamav Irini, or Mother Irini, or Omina Irini, um, she was a very godly and righteous woman. She was an abbess of a monastery, um, and she died um, years ago. Um, but we have um, many stories and writings of things that she experienced and things that she relayed, um, including visions of heaven, paradise, um, and she wrote them down, and we have them documented that, you know, after her passing, a lot of material was released related to things that she had done and seen and heard. So she had this vision, okay? The first vision involves uh, a vision where she saw a group of children who were part of a choir that had died in an accident and then proceeded to paradise. She noticed that each person's spirit had the form of its body of the flesh, but was shining and more beautiful. Actually, I was in Egypt when this happened, this catastrophe happened, and one of the people who, um, who, 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 who died in this accident was someone that was like a distant relative of mine. Um, and, and, you could, and, and, you know, she had this vision, and she went and talked with all of the families, all the parents uh, of, the, uh, of the children that had died in this accident, um, and she told them about this vision that she had. And she's seeing what their spirits rising, um, having the form of the body. That's how she could recognize them um, ascending up to paradise. Another time, she was taken to paradise to see a departed nun who told her, I am not in the body. I have abandoned it on earth. It is true that the spirit takes the shape of the body. That is why you can see me now. Again, like this departed woman was talking to her and said the same thing saying, I am not in the body, but she was recognizable. Even when Tamavarini was still in her body, she could recognize someone in the spirit. Mother Arini had an afterlife experience in which she described the moment she died as doctors to resuscitate, resuscitate her heart. So she herself had an experience like this. In the meantime, I said, Lord, into your hands I commend my spirit. I beheld myself lying in bed, and my spirit took the exact shape of my body. So similar to the story that we're reading, she all had a similar experience where she died, and also she is there um, in the spirit, and she experiences that she is similar to, uh, she, she, she appears the same as she did in the body. Reflecting back on, on this point that, um, that Mr. Yu uh, said in his story, when he said, I made an attempt to touch myself, and my hand again only passed through the air. But then he said, "What? but I am not a ghost. I feel and I'm conscious of myself, and my body is a real body and not some kind of delusive mirage. I glance and hear only for the first time the thought emerged, is it possible that that which has happened to me in our language 
and the language of living people is defined by the word death. You, you can close the door. Um, so even he was struggling with this idea, like this experience that he was having was so strange. Is it possible that what I have experienced is what we call death? Like maybe it's, it's, some, it's something that we don't anticipate, we don't understand. You know, and, and here we are, and he, he, it's as, as though he feels like he is just as he always was, and yet he is not. And yet all these things are happening to him. So he's even questioning, is it possible that I died? With our understanding of the word death, there is inextricably bound the idea of some kind of destruction. Like that's what we think of of death. Because in our, in our mind and what we see on, in the earth, is that when somebody dies, they cease to function, they cease to move, they cease to, to think, they cease to be in our minds when somebody dies. But from his perspective, there was none of those things. None of those things happened. He did not cease anything. And actually, we'll see a little, little later on that he actually increased in his abilities. He's incre increased in his self-awareness. He increased in his ability to think um, there um, after, after this happened to him. How could I think that I died when I did not lose self-consciousness for one moment, when I felt myself just as alive, hearing all, seeing all, conscious of all, capable of movement, thought, and speech? Of what deterioration could there be any consideration here when I splendidly saw myself and at the same time even acknowledged the strangeness of my state? So he's questioning, how, could it, how is it that I did not lose consciousness and this could be a kind of a death? This is, this, is what, this is what death is really like. This is not what he expected it to be at all because in our experience here on earth, death is the end, right? Death is the end of something. But from his experience, death was not the end. Actually, death was the beginning of something completely new. So in the church, when we speak about in our faith that, you know, death is not the end, it's, it's important for us to kind of meditate on that and understand that. Death is not the end. There is no separation between heaven and earth. Life continues. God created us to be immortal. God made us to live eternally. Our spirits are eternal. Our spirits are not, um, are not in need of any of the earthly resources that sustain life and our body. All those things are for the sustaining of our body. Food, water, rest all those things. And what deteriorates as we get older is our body. It is not our spirit. So when the body dies, the spirit continues to live and it will live eternally forever, right? This is why when we speak about we should care very much about the eternal life. We should care very much about the spiritual life. Because when we invest in the spiritual life, we are investing in something that lasts forever, right? We are investing in something that will never end. And what happens to him now in this moment as we mentioned, I think it was the first time, that he did not care at all one bit for anything in the world anymore. Nothing in the world had any value to him at all anymore. Now that he had entered into this experience, all that mattered is what's about to happen. You know, Whether you were poor or, or wealthy or sick or healthy or whether you had friends or you didn't have friends or your job or whatever, whatever it was that maybe in our lives are so important to us, in this moment... Nothing else mattered. He could not even interact with the world. He could not even touch the world anymore. Like that's how disassociated he became from the world, that he could not communicate with people. He could not touch people. The world had no value to him anymore. So someone who has gone through an experience like this certainly 
and actually it's said about him that after he revived, because he, you know, obviously he revived to tell us the story after this, that he became a monk. Because why? <laughs> because the monks are those who choose to die to the world. They're the ones who choose to renounce the world. They're the ones who say, the world is of no value, so I will live my life completely for God alone. And this is not to say that we are all called for monasticism, but at the same time, we are all called to have the mindset that the world is vanity. And whatever we do here, it should be for a greater purpose, for a greater goal, not just to enjoy ourselves, not just to enjoy our time, not just because in the end, all of that enjoyment, all of that pleasure, all of that career, all of that money, all of that whatever it is, it'll be stripped away and we will have none of it left. The dissociation from everything about me and the split in my personality more than anything could have made me understand that which had taken place. If I should have believed in the existence of the soul, remember he was kind of an atheist, right? He, never, he didn't believe any of this would happen to him. If I were religious, but this was not the case, and I was guided solely by what I felt, and the sensation of life was so clear that I was perplexed with the strange phenomenon. Like he did not immediately jump and say, oh, that, that I am in the spirit, or that this was a confirmation of a faith that he had when he was alive. He doubted all of those things, even in his life. So now the fact that this is all happening to him, right, he, you know, it, it was bizarre to him. He's just describing what he experienced. He's not making any conclusions on it of what it means or that it was a confirmation of any kind of faith. Spiritual cognizance. So he speaks about his awareness. He speaks about his mind um, at this point after his death. The question is, is upon death, does a person obtain a sense of increased knowledge and elevated understanding? St. John Cassian, he said, the souls of the dead not only do not lose their consciousness, they do not even lose their dispositions. That is hope and fear, joy and grief. They become yet more alive. Meaning we are still us. Our personalities, our unique attributes, um, our individuality, all those things, they remain intact, but they become amplified. Okay, they become amplified. It is astonishing how in the new spiritual realm of reality, in that new form of existence, that the spirit not only immediately enters into the field of new spiritual laws, which are revealed to it by the new spiritual world and its own changed state of being, but that all this is so akin to it that this transition is like a return to a real homeland and a return to its natural state. I think that's such a, a powerful and, and, and beautiful thing that he said, and this is coming from an atheist man, you know, in this period. Like, it's a return to a real homeland. It's like the way that we were intended to live, the way that we were naturally made to be, the, the, the extra understanding and awareness, we are actually increasing in death. Death is a step upward. It is not a step downward. It is not a destruction of the self. It is an amplification of the self. It is as though that this world is what's stifling us, that this world is what's keeping us from reaching the full potential that God created us for, right? And the moment that we put off the body, now suddenly we are able to fully realize all the true senses that God created us to have, the things that were being inhibited, the things that were, that were blocking us from experiencing the real world are, are, are now stripped away, right? It's a return to a real homeland. All this is akin to this transition is like return to a real homeland, to a return to its natural state, 
right? That this is the way God intended for us to be. You know, we can only imagine what it was like in the paradise with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how their nature changed after the fall. That the connection with God, the closeness and intimacy with God, that there was no barrier of sin between them and God, how is it that that was different than our natural experience here in the world, right? So here now, having put, on, put off the corrupted flesh, he now immediately understands, and he says what? He becomes aware of new spiritual laws that are revealed by the new spiritual world. It is like he has a familiarity, right? He has a familiarity with the place that he is in. Even though he is saying that he doesn't understand, and even though he is not understanding what's happened to him and that he's trying to touch things and talk to people and, you know, it's not working. And yet at the same time, his mind is like enlightened. Like he has a deeper sense of reality than he did before. I noticed that my mental capacities functioned with such striking energy and swiftness that it seemed not the slightest trace of time remained after I had made the exertion to comprehend, compare, or remember something. So it's like the moment he thought of something, it's like the answer was there. It's like he has like, like almost like his intelligence, his awareness, his level of comprehension has all been amplified, right? The, the, the moment that I, that I seek to understand, comprehend, compare, remember, it's like immediately it happens. Like he has comprehension. He has understanding. He remembers. Hardly had something appeared before me when my memory immediately penetrating into the past, would dig up all the slightest bits of knowledge concerning a given subject which were carelessly lying about and forgotten. Like all these little memories that maybe we have forgotten about, things in our past, things that we are unaware of, immediately we be brought to, to our mind. Which can be a good thing and can be a scary thing. You know, because when we talk about the judgment, um, when we stand in judgment, maybe a lot of us have even blocked out and forgotten a lot of the things that we have done in our life when we don't want to remember. And here in this point in time, it's like everything about ourselves will suddenly become to our mind. We will know ourselves fully in this moment more than we have ever known ourselves. That everything that I've ever done in my life will suddenly become present as though it is happening now, as though it is, it is present in my mind right now. And that which at another time would doubtlessly have aroused a feeling of perplexity, now appeared as if it were quite apparent. The things that are complicated, things that are overwhelming, the things we can't understand or comprehend, now suddenly everything becomes simple, right? Simple to understand. So that's one thing he describes, okay? Also, when we speak about the body versus the spirit, our spirit should be led by the Holy Spirit, right? Everything that we do um, as Christians in the world, is to orient ourselves so that our spirit is led by the Holy Spirit. That's what we want. Um, in Romans 8, 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Also in Galatians 5, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It is a constant battle that we have here in the world between our spirit and our flesh. Our spirit, who is being called by God to live for God, 
on our flesh that is being called down to the earth to live according to the rules and the ways of the world. And this battle that we're waging all the time is what is going to determine where we are or our status in this moment, in this moment after we die. And he's, he's going to speak later on again about this idea that those who are spiritually attuned, those who have been led by God all throughout their life, when they reach this moment, they will feel like it is a place of comfort for them, that this is finally the realization of all they have been hoping for. You know, at the end of the creed, we say what? We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. This is what we say. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. And we say that in all of our prayers. We say that in the Agbeya prayers. We say that in the liturgy. We say that many, many times. A person who is really looking for the resurrection of the dead, when they come to this point, it is like a realization for them of all that they had been anticipating, all that they had been looking for, and it becomes like a natural place to be, a natural place to live. This is my home. This is where I have been looking to be. I have been looking to leave where I was and to come to this place. He says, therefore, the spirit will appear in the other world at that level of its development and perfection, which it had attained during its joint existence with the body. So when we were alive, the body and the spirit had the joint existence and the lawfully established form of its existence. So the, play, the way that we are in this status that he's talking about, that he's in right now, is going to be according to where we were before, Right. So those who were spiritually attuned, those who worked on those who struggled against the flesh, they are going to be more advanced at this point. Of course, if during life a person was spiritually developed and spiritually disposed, then his soul will feel more related and things will appear more understandable in this new world than they will to the soul of the person who never who lived never thinking of the other world. So he now in this place he, he has a fear because he did not live for God in his life. And he's describing all these things to us, not from the perspective of a believer, right? But he's describing it from the perspective of someone who wasted his time, someone who did not know the truth, someone who denied all the things that he's experiencing now. So we're going to see actually that he's going to experience a kind of a terror, right? At all the things that are happening around him. But he's saying that those who are spiritually disposed, those for whom even understand what is waiting for them after death, those who are looking forward to paradise and feeling that this, they're being led by the Spirit of God, those people should not experience any terror. They should not experience any fear. But actually, this moment, again, is the realization of all of their hopes and dreams for their entire existence. Next time, God willing, we're going to speak about the next section. So this whole section was speaking about the experience of death. What happened to him, this man, from when he was alive on the hospital bed until he died and all the things he observed and understood and experienced then. The next phase, which um, is called the crossing over, okay? This is the process by which his spirit is taken from the earth to uh, paradise, okay? This is the the crossing over. And this is what we as Orthodox believe. This uh, death is a process. It is not an instantaneous thing where the moment that he died, now suddenly he is in his final destination, right? We see that he still is has awareness. He is still here on spirit in the, on the earth. And now he's going to be taken, right, to the next uh, phase of this process 
um, which we'll discuss in more detail next time. God willing. Any questions or comments before we conclude today? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for your blessings and your mercies upon us. We thank you, O Lord, because you reveal to us through your word and through the church fathers and through the experiences of the various people what it is that we should expect at the end of this worldly life. We ask, O God, that you help us to prepare and to be ready for that moment so that we are not standing before you in fear and we do not experience any fear but instead, we trust and understand that we have returned to our home, the place, O Lord, that you created for us to be from the beginning. We thank you, O God, because you reveal all these things to us and that you stand with us and that you send your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, O Lord, to your heavenly kingdom. We thank you, O Lord, because you are patient with us and that you accept our repentance that we offer sincerely before you and you accept the confession of our sins. We thank you, O God, because you do not seek that we would perish and fall away from you, but that we would rise and that we would live with you in eternity. I ask you, O Lord, for all those here and for myself and for all those, O Lord, in the world who are astray and living in darkness, that we would all repent of our sins and stand before you, O Lord, with a clear conscience and a pure heart, knowing, O Lord, that despite our weaknesses and despite our failings and despite, O Lord, our sins that we commit against you daily, and that you accept us, O God, because of the sincerity of our repentance. Strengthen us, O God, and help us to remember, O Lord, what it is you have called us to do on this earth, and to remember that this place, O Lord, that we are now is simply the beginning of a very, very long and eternal life. Help us to live it, O Lord, according to your precepts, and to live a life that is pleasing to you in all things. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.